All right, all right, all right. Another fantastic Sunday, my friend. You're back at it. And uh, time to enlighten the world, all those who are employed, unemployed, and otherwise. We try. We do our best, John. We, uh, we always start with the week that was. How was it? Well, John, let me tell you about a couple of situations and welcome everyone for uh, joining us today uh, on the Employment Hour. Uh, and what I'm going to tell you about now has to do with ultimatums. And, uh, you know, if you're going to put someone or give someone an ultimatum, you really want to make sure you're in the right, that you're, you have the ability to do that. And more, than not, more often than not, I do see employers imposing ultimating, ultimatums to individuals when they really are not in the right. They don't have the legal basis for doing so. So let me give you two examples, mm-hmm. both of which I dealt with uh, this week. In the first situation, uh, I was uh, working and helping an individual, uh, a lady that had worked for a company for 21 years and strictly an admin job, office job, no problems, no performance issues. Uh, The employer decided, fair enough, to eliminate the position as as they're allowed to do. But in doing that, they said, well, wait a second, we have another job for you. Uh, Same pay, same benefits, except this would be a a job outside in, in, in the warehouse carrying things, moving things, a physical job, you know, being outside in the winter. This lady is in her 50s. And she says, well, wait a second. I don't want to do this job. The employer says, well, too bad. Your, your choices are to effectively leave. We're not going to pay you anything or you accept this job. So they put an ultimatum in front of her. And you're, you're, you're shaking your head mm-hmm. here and you know that that's not right. That's yeah. not even close to being right. And the reason for that is this would be exactly what we refer to as a constructive dismissal. Mm -hmm. The employer is changing the job in such a significant way, taking someone that's working in an office, putting them outside in the warehouse, carrying things uh, after 21 years. Even if the pay is the same, that's clearly a constructive dismissal. So what does that mean? That means that if the employee decides, as as she is going to decide not to accept this job, she's going to be out her full severance. So after 21 years of employment and in in her mid-50s, she's easily going to look at 18 months of compensation, whereas this employer told her, if you don't accept this job, you get nothing. So an ultimatum and and the wrong call for this employer to make, and and certainly this should be a matter that's uh, fairly simple to resolve. Uh, Another matter where an ultimatum uh, was presented, different situation, but the employer was just as wrong. In this case, what happened is the employee provided the employer with the doctor's letter saying, uh, for medical reasons, the doctor says, I've reviewed, uh, I've seen this person, they're going to have to be off work indefinitely uh, and will be evaluated uh, as things progress. Now, the employer received this note, understandably perhaps was not happy, but what the employer did is, wait a second, we want more information, employee. We want to know what your medical condition is, and we want to know what indefinitely means. We want to know mm-hmm. when we can expect you to have it back. So unless you go to your doctor and get those questions answered, we're going to consider you as being on an unauthorized leave of absence, and we're going to be able to let you go for cause. Uh, again, ultimatum, wrong call. The employer is not allowed to know the medical reasons. They're not allowed to know anything more than the employee for medical reasons is not uh, available at work. They're not, they can't know. They're not allowed to know what the medical condition actually is. So the employer did not have a right in this case to demand all this information. And because of that, uh, if they, in fact, f- follow through and they terminate the employee for cause... Human rights? N- well, it's a human rights right. issue, and it's a yeah. wrongful dismissal. Yeah. So the employee gets severant, and it's a human rights issue. Just a very, very bad call on the employer to make. They, they really should have got some legal advice before they uh, made that ultimatum. The number to call, Lior, anytime, 416-216-5900, and Lior, L-I-O-R, employmenthour.com. I want to talk about the things that can get you fired for cause and things that cannot, kind of a different stream than what you're talking about. Let's get to um, violence or the threat of violence. Yes, and and let me set this up, John. Uh, We've talked before 
that uh, cause is very difficult to establish. It's, okay. it's the, the death penalty of the employment relationship. And uh, in order for the employer to establish cause, they, the employer has to prove that whatever the employee did made it impossible to continue working with that employee. And what I see in my practice more often than not is the employer pulling the trigger on a termination for cause way before it should. And that's wrong, and that's illegal, and that makes it a wrongful dismissal. So I thought what would be a, a good idea is to talk about the types of conducts mm-hmm. that, yes, would amount to cause versus the types of conducts that would not amount to cause no matter what the employer says. Okay. So first of all, of all, the one that you touched on, the one that's always going to be cause, I don't care who you are and I don't care the circumstances, is violence or threat of violence. So if you are, are, are going to hit someone at work, if you're going to assault someone or even threaten to do that, doesn't matter if it's your first time doing it, doesn't matter if you've had a clean record, that would be cause. That's the type of conduct that makes it impossible to continue employing you. That's fundamentally uh, disastrous to the employment relationship. So that would be cause. But uh, generally speaking, if uh, if type of conduct that doesn't rise to that level, the type of conduct that's not disastrous to the relationship would not be cause. So to start off, John, violence, threat of violence, if you've done that, you can't be let go for cause. And by the way, what does cause mean? Cause means you're let go without severance, right, without any right. compensation. Is that to another employee or your boss or anybody? Anybody, matter. anybody. I mean... Another coworker, uh, your boss, God forbid, a customer, a client. Uh, no, a- any type of violence in the workplace is unacceptable. Of course, if you're defending yourself against someone else, mm-hmm. yeah, the, arguably that that's uh, acceptable. If the only way to deal with the threat was through violence, and I've had cases like that, but if you're the aggressor, it's always going to be caused. And I guess it would be it would be the type of thing, depending on the workplace, is if it even gets reported. Because I worked I worked before I got into radio. I, I worked at uh, you know a newspaper, and man, some of the stuff we did to each other down in the press room yeah. was pretty nasty. I agree. Right, a lot of people we laughed, and it was it was pretty brutal. But in mean, a lot of workplaces, that wouldn't fly, right? No, no, that wouldn't. And that's depend on on right. the location. Certainly, what's acceptable in a professional office may be different than what's acceptable on the shop floor. But generally speaking, if if you hit someone, if that person uh, complains that you've assaulted them, yeah, man, that's going to be cause. We'll take a uh, short break. We'll get to more of these things. Can you fire you for cause? Uh, Yes or no? You may not know. I'm going to maybe jot some of these down on a list. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up here. The number to get a hold of, Lior, 416-216-5900, right here on AM640 and AM900 CHML. You want to get a hold of Lior anytime, 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We were talking about uh, before the break, my friend, things that can get you fired for cause and things that cannot. We covered uh, violence, threat of violence right away. That'll get you out of there. What's uh, what's the next one? Well, another one that, that comes up often that's not acceptable uh, is sexual harassment. Uh, this is the type of conduct that if you engage in that conduct, or if someone engages that in that conduct towards you, the person, the, the guilty party, is going to lose their job for cause. Now, I want to make one thing clear. Mm-hmm. Even with these types of conduct, the employer still has to establish that that conduct happened. So if someone is accused of, of sexually harassing another employee, the employer still has to prove that. It's not enough uh, for there to be an allegation. There has to be a, re- a real reasonable basis for believing that that happened. But assuming the employer can get over that hurdle, sexual harassment, the type of conduct that would be, uh, con- is, is the type of conduct that's completely inappropriate. The employer doesn't have to tolerate more than one incident. Because usually when we talk about cause, we uh, expect to be able to say, wait a second, employee, you've engaged in this conduct a few times. Okay. So now we can terminate you for cause. But the types of conducts that I'm listing right now, like violence or threat of violence, like sexual harassment, this is a con- the type of conduct 
that one offense is enough as long as the, can, the employer can establish it. And the reason why I'm listing these things, John, is I want to give people the, the flavor but make people understand that it's very serious conduct that results in mm-hmm. a termination for cause. That's why most people, when they're going to be let go for cause, they're going to be let go for performance reasons, which I'll talk, touch on in a few minutes, and that's not going to be cause. So okay. we're really talking about the type of conduct that, you know, most people would be disgusted by. When you're talking sexual harassment in the workplace, so is it, is it kind of a sliding scale? I mean, obviously you walk up, you you, know, you slap the secretary in the rear end, obviously sexual harassment, but saying, you know, that's a hot looking blouse or you look great today or, you know, a uh, nice lipstick. I mean, you know, wh- where does where do you draw a line or is there a, uh, yeah. a line drawn or is it up to the person who's receiving the harassment? You know and, what I mean? and you're right. It, is, it does depend, first of all, in the workplace, it depends on the relationship between the mm-hmm. parties, as I said. Right. You know, what, what the comments that are appropriate on the shop floor may not be appropriate in an office. Uh, so generally speaking, I'm talking about un- unwanted sexual advances towards another person that one knows are not wanted and one right. knows are, are not welcomed. In that case, yeah, that, that's certainly inappropriate. There are types of conduct that, strictly speaking, would be uh, sexual harassment, may not be caused. The same applies to violence, by the way. I actually myself was involved in a, in a case a few years ago when I was representing an employee that was let go for cause, and one of the allegations against him was uh, that he used violence towards another employee. Well, what happened in this case is uh, my client poked another employee with a piece of cardboard. And even the judge said, well, technically, strictly speaking, that is violence, but come on. Settle down. Yeah, give us a bit of a break here. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'm not talking about the type of, I'm not talking about technical conduct. I'm talking about real conduct where clearly whatever the person did is inappropriate. Someone actually hit someone. Someone uh, harassed someone sexually, made sexual advances towards them. Uh, and and th- that type of conduct would be caused. In your years of practice, um, I mean, what, what would be the ratio? You know, one to ten, one in one hundred, that it's actually um, a guy being the victim of, say, sexual harassment or the violence from a woman, or that doesn't very happen yeah, very often. Usually, uh, when we're talking about this type of misconduct, uh, usually it's a guy. I, right. I, it, it is certainly when it, when it comes to violence, when it comes to sexual harassment, mm-hmm. it is the guy. I've had a couple of cases over the years where the sexual harassment was done by 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 the female, yep. but those are very rare, right. and and it, it's usually going to be the the man that uh, unfortunately is going to be guilty of that type of conduct. Four one six two one six fifty nine hundred Lior L I O R and employmenthour dot com to throw some questions. We'll get to a few of those throughout the show as well. Okay, next one and the things that will get you fired for cause. Next one, big one, probably the the one conduct that no one's going to argue with, and that's theft. Oh, guilty. If you steal from your employer, the employer... <laughs> guilty? No, sorry. never. Is something never. you want to say to us, no, John? sorry. I, was I, that was my inside yeah. voice. Uh, John will be <laughs> absent for the rest of the show. That's right. Uh, yeah, so certainly theft. And the reason why theft is such a problem is because it's so fundamental to the relationship. If the employer can't trust you, then how can the employer have you as, as an employee? Now, theft does take various uh, degrees as well. There's you know going into the safe and opening it and taking the cash out, that's theft. Mm-hmm. But there's also taking uh, pro- product out right. of the, the warehouse and maybe things that you don't think the employer needs. I once did a case where the person was taking uh, worked at a dental office and they took those sample uh, toothbrushes that the dentist right. has. But it doesn't really matter. The law's not going to say, well, you only stole $2 worth versus uh, $200. <laughs> you know, anything like that, anything that you know is, belongs to the, your employer, that there's a value to the employer of having that, uh, that item 
is theft if you take it, and that's so fundamental to the employment relationship that theft usually is considered to be an absolute sin. If, if the employer does that and the employee does that, they can be let go for cause. I'll tell you, back in the late 80s when I worked at a, a store, you probably don't remember, Consumers Distributing was a uh, store over here where you'd go in, you'd fill out a form, a p- order picker would take right. your, go out and bring the product. I, I worked in the back in the warehouse of that, and I'm not talking just the employees. I'm talking like management up, up, up. It was like Christmas there every day. It was bad. Not a good way to do business. I think wow. I know why they shut that down because yeah. it was uh, it was pretty scary back there. The stuff that was flying out the door. Really? You know? Yeah. It was. It was just. A, it was just a bad environment for all. Yeah. But but yeah. you understand exactly. It's not a way to do business. Exactly. And, and if, in some situations, I want to make it very clear. By the way, we talked about theft. I gave you the, the dentist example. So if the dentist, just use that example, knows that the staff are taking home those those uh, toothbrushes, mm-hmm. doesn't do anything about it. And one day says, you know what? I know you took it last night. Now I'm going to fire you for cause. That's not uh, proper because the employer is condoning that behavior. The employer knew all along that people were taking this home, didn't do anything about it. Ah. So the employees believe that that's fine. You can't then say, well, now I've decided retroactively that that's cause. So an employer that does condone this behavior, and by the way, the same thing applies to to sexual harassment. If the employer allows people to make inappropriate comments towards each other, then the employer now is, frankly, the the author of their own misfortune. They Mm -hmm. can't say, well, wait a second, employee. Uh, now we've decided that the th- same thing we've been allowing you to do for five set years. Precedent, right? Now we've decided that's not good yeah. enough. No, yeah. th- there's a precedent set. The employers condone the behavior. And what I advise employers is if you're, you see conduct you're not comfortable with, nip it in the butt. Okay, Absolutely. Don't allow right it to continue. We'll take a short break. Emails, Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to a bunch of those very shortly. And the number to call Lior anytime right on his hip, 416-216-5900. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Talking about the things that can get you uh, out the door, fired for cause, and some of the things which you can't, we'll get to uh, in just a little while. 416-216-5900, Lior's number, and Lior at employmenthour.com. We went through uh, threat of violence or violence, sexual harassment, theft. How about fraud? Yeah, no, fraud is is another problem. Mm -hmm. If, If you commit fraud, and fraud could be any one of a few things. It could be a situation where... You, you tell your employer that you worked uh, last last night till 5 o'clock, but you really left home at 3, or uh, you, you fill out documents with respect to your insurance coverage and says that you have uh, uh, five kids, so you get extra chiropractic services, but right. that's wrong. So any type of information or uh, uh, materials that do not correspond to what actually happened in, in, in real life. So fraud is a very serious thing because it goes to the trust. It's very fundamental to the relationship. So usually, I mean, there are degrees of fraud, yeah. uh, but generally speaking, anything that uh, you do to gain an unfair advantage or to gain any financial gain on behalf of your, uh, as against your employer, it would be fundamental to the employment relationship and may allow the employer to let you go for cause. Can it be a tough one to prove as opposed to violence or sexual harassment or threat or, uh, pardon me, theft would be fairly simple, but... Yes, theft would be simple. Uh, yes, I, I would think that certainly fraud as well as sexual harassment actually may, may be difficult yeah. to prove. Uh, oftentimes it may be a he said, she said situation. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, the employer has to prove it. And how does the employer prove it? And that's very important is the employer does have to conduct some sort of an investigation. So it's not enough for the employer to say, well, Bob told me, John, that you committed fraud, that you you left early last night. Well, the employer does has to, to investigate, ask questions, get all the information before it can make a decision. Uh, and if the employer gets it wrong, then it still becomes a wrongful dismissal, which means the employee is entitled to severance. How about repeated offenses? What are they? And, and, and that's the last one I'll mention on the things that can get you fired for cause. And that's where things get a bit interesting. 
is uh, is if you're a repeat offender, the employer can terminate you for cause. But it, it, in order to, to, to do that, the employer has to show, number one, that you've done something wrong a number mm-hmm. of times. But beyond that, that the employer's done whatever it can, number one, to, to alert you that you've done something wrong, to provide you warning suspensions, and try to help. So if they're, they're alleging performance issues, it's not enough for the employer to say, wait a second, we've told you five times your performance was crap. That's not good enough. The employer has to provide some help. We've provided you training. We've offered you help. We've told you to come ask us questions. Mm-hmm. We've given you warnings. What else can we do? So uh, usually where employers get this wrong is when they rely on relatively minor misconduct to terminate for cause when the person is not a repeat offender. So you have a clean record for 10 years. You did something screwed up. You did something wrong you shouldn't have done. That's, the question is, is that cause? And I'll ask it differently. If you commit an offense today and, and, and uh, you, you go and you get into uh, an accident because you're driving carelessly, that may be a very bad thing. Maybe you should be punished. But is that warranting, uh, does that warrant the death penalty? And no. the same thing applies in the right. employment context. Right. If you've done something wrong, the question is whether it's bad enough to, be, uh, to warrant the death penalty. That's why when it comes to minor misconduct, for the person to be terminated for cause, it has to be a part of a pattern of behavior. Well, I think you, uh, you a few weeks ago you mentioned that you had a uh, a case where someone uh, they dropped something off the skid of a, of a of a forklift and they got let go, and it was just you know they just messed up once. Yeah, <laughs> right. One time they messed up, and not only that, the employer treated it as willful misconduct. In other right. words, you on purpose you did that, which is nonsense. Of course not. So uh, something like that. But on the other hand, if this person was doing this every other week and the employer did whatever they can to help them, yeah, mm-hmm. that may well be cause. How about the things that cannot get you fired for cause? Well, and, and that's where uh, you know employers get this wrong. So the flip side of what we just talked about, and we talked about repeated, repeated offenses. The first one I'll mention is isolated offenses. So you've done something one time wrong. That's not going to be cause. Uh, it, almost never, unless it's one of the bad sins like uh, uh, theft, violence, etc., But if you've committed something, uh, you made a mistake, bad judgment, even if you did something on purpose, but it's an isolated incident, you have clear uh, history, that's not going to be caused. Mm -hmm. The other one that uh, employers are are very quick to pull the trigger on is poor uh, poor performance. And as I said, if, if the employer wants to let someone go for cause because of performance, the employer has to not only show that the performance was bad, but that they've been warned. Usually I'd want to see, you know, three or so at least either warning, suspension, something that alerts the employee that if the conduct continues, they can be let go. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've got many of those, John. Yeah. Uh, sorry. From my wife, <laughs> poor performance. Sorry, you're out the door. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but but on, in addition to that, the employers offer to help. And what where I see things go wrong is the employer saying, well, we're going to put you on a performance plan for a month. Well, we, we're not happy what happened there, employee, so we're going to let you go for cause. That's not going to be cause uh, you really have to go out of your way if the employer to show that the employee was given every opportunity. Very difficult to do. So performance is almost never going to be good enough reason for cause. There's got to be thousands of people every day who say, oh, okay, and just walk away without Th- even consulting a lawyer thousands, because it's not proper. Thousands is exactly the right number. Yeah. And in my experience, that is the case. And most people are going to say, well, yeah, they're right. I did do something wrong. So clearly they could have terminated me for cause. When that's not the case. Yeah, you may have done something wrong. We're not disputing that, but it's a legal question as to whether they can let you go for cause. 416-216-5900, Lior at EmploymentHour.com. How about being late? Because this this, this happens to everybody every day. Well, not me. Of course. course. John is always on time. Yes, Yes. and early in fact. (laughs) Most times, yes. Uh, Yeah, being late, something we see very often. Sometimes people are late, and I understand why employers are upset by that. 
But generally speaking, unless it's, as I said, part of a long con- uh, list of things you've done wrong, it's part of a, 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 you know, you're a repeat offender, the employers try to get you to come on time, they're giving you warnings, you still don't get it, you can't do it, the employer can't count on you to be in the workplace on time, maybe then we can start thinking in terms of cause. But if you're late a couple times this week, no excuse, you shouldn't have been late, it's not cause. And I, em, employers, employers get furious when employees are late, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. But you got to build up your case for cause. You can't just fly off the handle Keep and say, records. How, how dare yep. you come in late, that's cause. Keep record, document, provide warnings, and maybe at some point you reach the stage where you can terminate for cause. Or, or the flip side, if you've had enough of an employee, you just want the employee gone, fine, let them go, but without cause, with severance. Right. You can do that anytime. Anytime you want. Anytime you yeah. want. I guess that would be really tough to prove as well if uh, it's someone being late constantly, if they have children or a sick relative, that's going to be really tough to let them go for. Right? Yeah, and, and by, that could also be a human rights issue. Right. So I was right. late because I had to take my, employ- my, my, my son to school and there was no one else. An employer has to accommodate on the basis of family status. So if the employer doesn't do that, they may be invi- not only is it not cause, it could mm-hmm. be a human rights issue. We'll take a short break. We'll wrap up the sides of things that will not get you fired for cause here in the show. The number 416-216-5900 to contact Lior and Lior at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM640 and AM900 CHML. And Lior's number anytime is 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We will get to some uh, some emails here in just a minute. Um, the last one on your list is insubordination of things that will not get you fired for cause. Yeah, and, you know, insubordination in and of itself as, as a one-time type of conduct is not cause. Insubordination really refers to uh, not doing something that you were asked to do generally. So not listening to, you, to your boss, not listening to your employer. Now, I, I want to make it very clear. I don't want employers calling here being very upset. I am not suggesting that that's right. In fact, an employee should do whatever the boss asks him to do as long as it's reasonable. But all I'm saying is if the employee doesn't do that, again, unless it's part of a long pattern of behavior, in and of itself, it's not cause, which means you can't let the employee go without severance. Let him go with severance if you want. So an isolated incident of insubordination is not cause. Okay. So what happens if the employer gets this wrong? Well, if the employer gets this wrong, by getting it wrong, what I mean is they say they pull the trigger on a termination for cause when those things that we've just talked about are not in place. Well, then that becomes a wrongful dismissal. That, that employer owes the employee severance. So, And the other thing that I want to say on that is just because there's misconduct there doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the employee gets less severance. It's not a situation where, well, there's no cause, fine, but you still weren't very good, so we'll give you less severance. Not getting it's, the full nut. I bet you they try that too. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of, uh, the, back in the old days, there used to be a concept called near cause, when the employer didn't have cause, but was close to it so they could pay less severance. <laughs> nice, a little bit pregnant. Yeah, a little bit pregnant, but not too much. Talk to us in a few weeks. That's right. Yeah. So, no, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so good. Every employee, either there's cause or there's no cause. If there's no cause, they get full severance. And that's exactly what a wrongful dismissal is. It's an employee that's being let go and has not been paid either their full severance or no severance. Lior's number is 416-216-5900. Going to dedicate this show to a lot of uh, emails because they do pile up week after week. Uh, Adam in Etobicoke, appropriately enough, says, I was given an ultimatum, there you go, to either resign or be fired because the owner of the company um, caught me talking on Skype at the office. Have until Monday to decide. What do I do? Adam's panicking. Well, you know, actually, it's quite an appropriate question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, first of all, uh, ultimatums. What did I say at the beginning of the show? The employer really has to get this right if the, it's going to impose an ultimatum. 
So, no, I don't think the employer has uh, gotten this right, but I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that. If this is an isolated incident and the employee was talking on Skype and they should have been working, yeah, I think that employee is doing something wrong and Adam maybe should get a warning uh, and, and given another chance or a few more chances. Mm-hmm. So that's not cause, uh, which means that uh, if the employer wants them gone, they have to pay severance. So there would be no reason for Adam to resign. On the other hand, if this is the fifth incident in the last week, uh, where he's been caught on Skype and the employer keeps telling him, don't talk on Skype, don't talk on Skype. Or maybe there were other incidents unrelated, but this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. There may be cause, and in that case, you know, it's up to you if you want to resign or be let go. Right. But from what, from what I understand, that this does seem to me like an isolated incident. So my advice to Adam is no. Tell your employer that you understand you're not going to do that again you're not prepared to resign if the employer does let you go the employer has to pay severance and word of advice to employers because you remember last week i think tommy came down and you're pretty heavy for always uh, you know kicking employers in the rear end but no and this this is a word of wise to them if this happens to you phone a lawyer first phone yeah. an employment lawyer and, and say it, should i be going after this employer just give them more chances exactly right? and then how you you want to avoid being sued for wrongful dismissal right. if you're the employer and then it's not hard avoiding it you just have to do things in a in a proper way and get some legal advice. Bev and Aurora emails Lior at employmenthour.com says, now that my son is in preschool, here we go, we just talked about this, uh, I need to be able to leave work 30 minutes early to pick him up on time. My employer has said that he will only let me do this for a month, 30 days. What can I do? Yeah, and uh, an employer has a duty to accommodate an employee's mm-hmm. child care responsibilities. Now, for, for that duty to be triggered, the employee has to show that the only way that they can meet those obligations is by the employer accommodating them. So there's no other way. The, the husband can't pick up the kid, neighbor, the mother, whatever, the neighbor, yeah. the friend. Yeah. There's, there's really the only reasonable way for them to do that is by the employer giving them the flexibility to come in a bit late or leave a bit early. If the employee can establish that, the employer has to accommodate, and that accommodation doesn't end after 30 days. So in this case, as long as Bev can, in fact, show that uh, she needs to do this and there's no other reasonable way, the employer has to accommodate her. And if the employer after 30 days refuses, not only is that a human rights issue, Mm -hmm. uh, it's also a wrongful dismissal because if the employer terminates her because of that, the employer has to pay her severance as well as be liable for human rights damages. So initially the onus is on uh, Bev to try to accommodate herself and then... Exactly. And that's true with respect to any accommodation. For for, for health reasons, for religious reasons, the, the first duty always is on the employee. See if you can resolve the, the conflict, the, the issue, without re- uh, resorting for help from your employer. Mm-hmm. If the answer is you cannot do that, then the employer has to chip in and help in accommodating. I'll get to one more here. Sean in Markham says, I own a small business with five employees. One of the employees has recently gone off on a disability leave. I have no idea how long he will be away. Is there a way to find out? Can I hire someone to take over his job? God, there's got to be so many small companies in that position, right? Yeah, and, and it is frustrating. So, yeah. So let me... Uh, Let me start by answering, can he hire someone to take over the job? The answer to that is yes. Uh, If you have a position that needs to be filled, you don't don't have the obligation to keep it open indefinitely. Mm -hmm. You have to do what you need to do to run your business, so hire whoever you need to hire. Now, if and when the employee wants to come back to work, you do have the obligation to try to find them a job. If you cannot legitimately, then that becomes a termination and you have to pay them severance. But in the meantime, because you don't know if the employee is going to be gone for a day, a week, a year, or, or, or longer... You need to do what you need to do to run to run your business. Now, in terms of finding out uh, uh, more information, usually what I, I suggest to the employer is uh, to provide the employee with a letter to take to their doctor that asks for some general information, not about what the medical condition is, but some information about uh, 
you know, what the likelihood is of a return within six months and providing the doctor with the job description that the employee has so that the doctor can say which part of the job mm-hmm. the employee can't do because you may be able to accommodate. Well, the only thing the employee can't do is lift 30 pounds. No problem. We'll accommodate you so that you can do the other parts of your job, just not lift 30 pounds. So I can help the uh, I, I can help Trump with the letter if he wants to the employee's doctor, so we can get more information and get a sense as to how long this person will go uh, will be away from work and what kind of accommodation he'll need. But in the meantime, I would suggest that he d- do what he needs to do to run his business, even if it means hiring another employee. Now that other employee, say Sean can come back in six months. Uh, what does he do with the other employee? Well, he doesn't have to let the other employee go. Okay. So he can keep the other employee as long as he still tries to find a job, if possible, to the employee that was off Unless on Unless he has no room on payroll, then exactly. it's severance and have a nice day. Exactly. Gotcha. We'll take a short break. The number is 416-216-5900. Want to get into post-employment obligations. Probably a topic that most people know nothing about. We'll cover it right here. Uh, email leor at employmenthour.com. We'll take a short break. Be back at the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. And the number is 416-216-5900 and employment, Lior at employmenthour.com to email Lior anytime. Uh, I want to get into this, post-employment obligations. Uh, we'll start right here. What obligations does an employee who leaves a job have to their former employee, if anything? Yeah, and usually th- these obligations have to be based in contract. So uh, the law does not impose, except some people, and I'll talk about that in a second, okay. but for most people, the law does not imp- uh, impose obligations on employees uh, just by virtue of the law. Those obligations are creatures of contract. So the advice always to employers is to enter into contracts with employees as to what will happen if the employee leaves employment. So there's no automatic obligation not to compete, not to solicit. Arguably, the only uh, obligation that an employee has the, the, that's departing is not to use or misuse confidential information, information that uh, the employer owns that's not available in the public domain. The employee has to protect that. Now, there are cases where the law automatically imposes obligations, and that's with respect to people that we refer to as fiduciaries. Okay. These people are, are the people that have the senior position in the organizations, the vice presidents, the presidents, the executive directors. Those people, because they're in such sensitive positions in the organization, if they leave... The law automatically says, well, you can't compete unfairly. You can't solicit clients of your former employer because you're in such a sensitive position. If you did that, it could completely destroy your former employer. So fiduciaries have what we call fiduciary obligations uh, to to their former employers to act in, in the best interest of their former employer, even though they don't work there anymore. But that only applies to the most senior people. For most people that are hearing us right now, uh, other than protecting confidential information, if you leave, you can essentially do whatever you want, unless, of course, you signed a contract of employment that imposes certain obligations on you. How about a non-compete? So, and, and here's, uh, I think I've said this before on, on the show, but a non-compete generally, and most people don't understand that, is not enforceable. Okay, so what am I in talking about a non-compete? What is it? A non-compete is a term in a contract that says, if you leave us or we let you go, you can go work for a competitor for a certain period of time. Very common in radio. Very, very common in radio and, yep. and certainly common in many industries. For most people, okay, that is not enforceable. The reason for that is the law does not like terms in a contract that prevents someone from earning a living. For sure. Uh, now, there are exceptions to that. Certainly, the, one of the exceptions is people in a very specialized field. Radio is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other uh, exceptions is people that are in very senior positions. Again, the fiduciaries, the executives. But for most people, I would say 90% of the people out there, even if you signed a non-competition obligation, it's not enforceable. However, and this is a big one, 
just because something may not be enforceable, it Can't does it? not mean you can ignore <laughs> it. In fact, I okay. advise people not to ignore okay. it. And why? Well, if you ignore a non-competition obligation because you heard Lior on the radio saying it's not enforceable, uh, well, what the employer can, can do is still take legal action against you, can sue you for violation of that obligation. Now, a year and a half later and then uh, tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees later, you may win that battle, but it's still not a battle you want to have to engage in. So we don't ignore a non-competition obligation. And by the way, it's always a very bad idea to sign a document you're not prepared to live with. My rule of thumb is if you sign it, you have to live with it. So uh, how do we deal with a non-competition obligation? Mm -hmm. If you want to go work for a competitor, really the only way to deal with it safely is to speak with your employer or your former employer and get them to release you from that obligation. See if you can agree to them, agree with them that you're not going to touch customers, you're not going to go after their clients, but to let you work for a competitor. And more, most employers, if they're reasonable, may agree to that. In your experience, they have? They yes. will? Really? If, if they're reasonable, yes. Uh, but certainly they don't have to. And then if they don't, even though it's not enforceable, you do so at your own risk. I'm sure a lot of employers even forget that was in the employment contract when you were, you know, when you moved on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But again, to, to ignore it and to assume that it's fine is risky. And you may get away with it just fine, but you may you may get involved in a legal battle, which, believe me, you don't want to have to do. 416-216-5900, employmenthour.com. So for how long is a, like, a senior employee prevented from competing with a former employer? Or is that just based contract to contract? Well, sir, first of all, we're talking about senior employees, fiduciary employees. Uh-huh. The contract itself... Uh, may stipulate. And e- even then, anything beyond two years at the absolute high end would not be enforceable. For those that don't have a contract, but they're still fiduciary, so they have fiduciary obligations, usually, the, well, the law assumes it has to be for a reasonable period of time. What's reasonable depends from employee to, em- or varies from employee to employee and, and situation from situation. Usually would be looking at six months to a year. That, that's what would be reasonable. So if you didn't sign a contract but you're a fiduciary, you may be prevented from working for a competitor for a year. If you've signed the contract, usually uh, the contract governs, uh, again, usually to a maximum of two years. Yeah, I've seen a little over two in radio, but that's for the, the big boys. Yeah. The big and, and, and Guys I, like myself, no. I, I, yeah, they, they, they would love Skulls, you to... Take your three listeners with you. We don't want you. That's fine. <laughs> Right. Hey, John. Uh, the You're a hot commodity. Yeah, you know sure that. I am. The number is 416-216-5900 and LeorEmploymentHour.com. Is a, uh, um, what they call a non-solicitation obligation enforceable? First of all, what is that? It's a big word. Right. So uh, yeah, non- I'm sorry if you're using big words, John. I, I should know to kind of dumb it down a bit. No, I'm just kidding. Two syllables max. Thank you. <laughs> a non-solicitation obligation, uh, as the name suggests, effectively seeks to prevent a, an employee after the employee leaves from going after their former employer's clients mm. or going after their former employer's other employees to try to hire them away. So unlike a non-competition obligation, a non-solicitation obligation is usually enforceable. So the law does allow an employer to protect itself by preventing an employee from soliciting uh, their clients and employees. There has to still be a time limit on it. Usually uh, we could see, again, up to two years. Uh, and an employee that does breach that is in trouble because the employer can get an injunction, can get costs, and uh, I, I certainly would never recommend someone doing that. Now, for most people, that's not a problem uh, in, uh, to agree not to solicit clients. Where it could be a problem is if you're in a sales yes. type of a position yeah. and you have a book of business and you want to rely on that book of business after you leave and then you can't access it because you've agreed not to solicit, 
that may be a problem. And then, you know, sometimes a salesperson is only as good as their book of business and as their contacts. So if you're in a sales position, you may be very careful about agreeing to a non-solicitation obligation. Or what you can do is agree to carve out some specific clients from the non-solicitation obligation so that you can access them if your job ends. Have you seen in your, uh, we'll talk about this after the break, I want to see how often you've seen this in your practice, where someone who, you know, it's not so much a formal solicitation, but it's like, hey, Jim, I've known your fears. Let's just go for a beer on Friday. We'll have a little chat. I want to talk about that, Absolutely. what kind of trouble you can get into. Uh, the number is 416-216-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the Employment Hour coming up on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. The number to call Lior anytime, his personal number, 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com. We're talking about post-employment obligations and uh, you mentioned uh, non-solicitation agreements and I was uh, I was saying in your practice, have, have guys gotten into trouble where they don't formally solicit their former employees' uh, contacts or people they work with, but maybe it's a matter of they've known them for years and they get together for a couple pops on a Friday and say, you know, I'm kind of starting out on my own, might want to consider coming with me. Yeah, and, you know, there's an extremely fine line. It's not always mm-hmm. clear to, to see which side of the line we're on. Solicitation usually comes down to who made the first move, okay? So who approached who? Uh, so what I tell my individual clients is if you're going to be uh, speaking with someone because they contacted you and they said, hey, listen, John, right. I understand you're now working somewhere else. I'd like to talk gotcha. to you about doing business. Try to document that. Try to get something in writing. Maybe send an email confirming that you contacted me today at 5 o'clock and asked me to meet with you. So you want to be able to document that. Uh, you know, If you don't document that and you take the business, the employer may just assume that you solicited the client and may sue you first and ask questions later. So let, let's try to be as careful as possible with that. But there's a very fine line. It's not always clear uh, you know, who, who made the first move. Generally speaking, how long does an employee have to keep information confidential, fiduciary or otherwise? Uh, three days, four hours, and 25 minutes. No. And uh, we're moving on. That's yes, it. That's right. No, <laughs> exactly. And, and a lot of employers get this wrong for some reason. Confidentiality obligations are forever. Okay, wow, as long no as kidding. something is confidential, oh. the employee has to keep it confidential. I've seen I've seen uh, contracts drafted by some employers that are, probably didn't know very much what they were doing. Where it says, "Employee, you agree to keep confidential information for a year." Well, that's nonsense. So, what do you mean? After a year, the employee can publish your confidential information on the internet? Clearly, yeah. that's not what what you wanted. So, there should be no time limitation with respect to confidential information. The only limitation is as long as the information is itself confidential. Once it's already in the public domain, you can do whatever you want with it. So an employee should be made to to keep confidentiality, to protect confidential information forever without any time limit. How can an employer protect itself from being hurt by employees who leave? Because, you know, that could be pretty vindictive stuff, right? It is, and and it could be high-stakes stuff as well. Uh, There's only one way, and that is to have them sign an agreement. And now that agreement can can be a part of uh, the, the original contract of employment, or it could be a separate document. Some employers have people sign uh, a non-competition agreement that's mm-hmm. separate from the job offer, but that's the only way. If you hire someone that's in a position to hurt you if they leave and you don't have them sign a non-competition, non-solicitation agreement, man, you're taking a big, big, big risk, okay? Very yeah. bad idea. That's the only way to protect yourself, uh, and, and you have to do that. Now, I don't propose doing that if you're hiring someone on the assembly line because you may not be as concerned about that. But otherwise, if you're hiring a senior employee, if you're hiring, hiring someone that has access to your clients, your confidential information, you have to get them to sign a, a proper employment agreement that imposes on them 
post-employment obligations, non-competition, confidentiality, non-solicitation. So the flip side of that, is it really a big deal if the employee signs it? Well, you know, for, for, for some employees, it may be. And yeah. I, I advise employees to think about that. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, you, you, let's say you're an employee that signed a contract with a non-competition obligation. And you also, by the way, signed a contract that allows the employer to let you go with minimal severance, what we call a termination clause. So what's, what's the combination there? Well, that means if you signed a contract that does both of those things, is the employer can let you go at any time, pay you almost nothing, Oh, and by the way, if the employer does that, you can't work in the industry for two years. That's a problem, right? Big time. So, so that's why individuals have to be very mindful of what they sign. And if you're about to sign an agreement, you're not sure what it means. You're not sure if it, it hurts you and you don't understand. There's going to be a lot of legalese. You have to get some legal advice. Signing an employment agreement, probably the employment agreement is one of the most important documents you're going to sign. So you can't just sign it because, oh, the salary is fine. A lot of employers do, a lot of employees do that. That's wrong. They look at salary and holiday and roll. Yeah, hey, it yep. looks fine. I asked for 80000 It's 80000 Great, I'll sign. 416-216-5900. Let me ask you this then. So someone's about to accept a job and the contract has a non-compete. Can they, they got some wiggle room? Can they negotiate a bit of it? You know, that's a tough one. It really is a tough one yeah. uh, because a lot of times what's going to happen is if you tell the employer, by the way, employer, I don't want to have a non-compete. What's the employer going to think? Well, you're coming in maybe to take our clients and then go work for a competitor. So it's tough to get it uh, removed. In some cases, what I propose doing is simply try to minimize the impact. So maybe instead of two years, we'll make it a year, or instead of a year, we'll make it six months. Maybe uh, have it not apply across Canada. Maybe just don't, I can't work for a competitor in Toronto, but I can work for a competitor outside of Toronto. Right. So try to minimize the impact, uh, and, and that's the best advice. And ultimately, if you sign it, as I said, you have to live with it. Tell me a little more uh, before we wrap up for this week about the severance pay calculator. Love it. So first of all, severancepaycalculator.com calculates the amount of severance that an employer has to pay that an employee is entitled to receive. So you input three things, John, how long you worked, how Mm -hmm. old you are, and the type of job that you have. And it's going to tell you in months and in dollars, okay, how much severance the employer has to pay you. It's the only way to find out. It's not in the Employment Standards Act. Unfortunately, you can't call the Ministry of Labor. We've talked about that before. Uh, It's a great tool. And even if you've just always wanted to know how much severance in case something happened, Right now, severancepaycalculator.com. We'll take, uh, we'll take it for that week, and we'll, uh, we'll join you again next weekend. Uh, lots more stuff to discuss, as we always do here in the Employment Hour. The number to get a hold of Lior outside of show hours anytime is 416-216-5900 and Lior at employmenthour.com.